Well, good morning, Freedom's Church. It's a blessing to be here with you this morning. We've enjoyed a few um, wonderful days of refreshment and relaxation and um, some cool breezes. It's, it's about 95 degrees and 90% humidity where we live in, in New Orleans. So, um, so if you see us walking around with coats and hats and things, you'll understand we come from a different place. We are grateful for your investment that you have a church have made in, in our family uh, and, and through your partnership also in our, in our ministry and in the mission field that the Lord creates in the wake of crisis worldwide. I, I want to thank you both personally, but also in behalf of our ministry. It was almost seven years ago, right after Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast, when God called me to leave my professional engineering career behind and for our family to move from Pennsylvania, where we had uh, lived, Denise and I grew up in a place called Mechanicsburg, not far from Hershey, smells like chocolate, it's a beautiful place. Uh, but God led us from there, just a few days after Katrina, to leave and to, uh, to go to New Orleans to start a new ministry. As Brandon said, that ministry is now called uh, EFCA Touch Global, and that ministry exists to develop empower and release the body, us, the body, to show the love of Christ to those in need, but specifically to multiply healthy churches among all people. In short, our ministry is one of making disciples and planting churches through holistic ministry platforms like Responding to Crisis. I serve as the director of the ministry It is part of the Evangelical Free Church of America's mission, which is called Reach Global. And Touch Global comes alongside local churches, national partners, even our Reach Global missionaries, to help develop ministry strategies to effectively integrate the meeting of needs, the the physical, emotional, spiritual, relational needs that people have, to integrate that with reaching people for the gospel. We focus on understanding where people are at spiritually, connecting them to a local body of believers, and seeking to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ that reproduce fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Essentially, it's intentionally integrating the Great Commandment and the Great Commission to affect gospel transformation, both of individuals but also of entire communities. For example, in New Orleans, we've been working there uh, with literally thousands of families since the week after Hurricane Katrina hit. We've been using the ministry of, of cleanup and the physical rebuilding of homes as a vehicle into relationship with homeowners and, and their neighbors. And, and you all have participated in that. You've sent teams down in the past to work alongside us uh, in New Orleans in the early days after the, uh, the storm struck. But our work there in, these, in those initial days and, and following has been foundational in a current effort called Reach NOLA, N-O-L-A, New Orleans, Louisiana. Reach NOLA. This initiative is a partnership of the district, uh, a number of local churches and ministries, and Touch Global to see 10 churches planted in the metro New Orleans area in the next several years. And, and by God's grace, we currently have five church plants in process. Three of them are, are with EFCA planters. We have partnerships, though, through our ministry with two other organizations or two other guys that are uh, started down that road of, of planting healthy churches 
in a context that, uh, that has been ravaged and, and, frankly, where there are not many healthy churches. In New Orleans, we've hosted over 18,000 volunteers since Katrina hit. And contrary to the image that's promulgated by the mayor and the leaders of New Orleans, still today, there are tens of thousands of Katrina-bladed homes in the city, especially in the poorer neighborhoods. From our beginnings in New Orleans, our ministry has literally taken, taken us around the world. We've served in Asia where we've been involved in, in places like China, Chung, Chengdu, China, uh, Indonesia, Myanmar, the Philippines, and most recently in Japan after the earthquake and tsunami that devastated the, the northern region of Tohoku. We've recently been involved in ministry in Turkey following the earthquake in, in, um, in the city of Van. And we're currently working in Latin America in follow-up to earthquakes in Peru and Chile and, and Haiti. And we'll be there, as I said, this week. In each of these places, we've seen the common denominator of crisis opening the door to the hearts of people. But crisis is not just limited to earthquakes and tsunamis. In fact, for people in our neighborhood, people in your neighborhood, crisis can look like job loss or death in the family or a cancer diagnosis or a broken relationship, among many other types of things. That, it, In fact, whatever it is that causes people to have the normalcy of their life disrupted, when the rugs pulled out unexpectedly, people naturally ask why questions. Why me? Why this? Why now? Why, God? Is there a God? Is there hope? And in times of need, the Holy Spirit uses these questions, and people like you and me acting as His hands and feet to draw people to the Father. And you know, drawing people to the Father these days is of utmost importance. We live in an era like none other before us. Catch that. We live in an era like none other before us. Looking at the population of the world... There are as many people alive today in the, than in the entire history of the world preceding our generation. Couple that fact with globalization, communication, migration, and our world today is more populated, more diverse, and more easily reached than in any prior generation. I'm convinced that in our era, God desires to bring an amazing harvest through His power, in His timing, and in His way. But that fact is affirmed in His Word in verses like Revelation 7-2. I love the, the music this morning, the Revelation song. It's my favorite song. After these things, it says in Revelation 7-2, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb. I'm also convinced that He 
has called each of us to be part of His work. And again, I, I believe that's affirmed in the Gospel. When you look at Matthew 28, 19, it, it says, Go and make disciples. And, and that's a call to all. That's a call to all of us. But in God's plan, and by His design, He has chosen all of us to be a light, a witness amidst unreached people around the world. How we live creates ripples, circles of influence, like a stone thrown into a pond. When we throw that stone into the pond, it creates those waves that radiate out, that radiate out like that. And, and as we live in Christ's likeness, God uses our relationships and our interactions with people to show Himself to a lost and dying world. If the gospel is going to impact our neighborhoods or the world beyond, how we live really matters. As is the custom in many places where we serve and in recognition of its significance, I would invite you to please stand with me for a moment as we read the Word of God. We're going to look at the passage in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We'll have it up on the screen for you. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Please join me. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Please have a seat. You know, God invites us to participate with Him to influence our neighbor's in our world for the gospel. Yet our ability to do so, to partner with Him in this, really comes down to how we live in Him. And living in Him starts with remembering. Beginning of the verse says, Therefore, as you have received, Christ has given us a new identity, indwelled us, and initiated in the process of transforming us. That word, received how therefore as you have received it is really a deep and rich word it literally means to take with oneself and and to join oneself with in christ it means christ lives in me and and i in him inseparably we are joined together for a common purpose so I invite you to think, close your eyes even maybe, when was that time for you? Do you remember when you received Christ? For me, it was a Sunday evening as a teenager in a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. I remember the red carpet. I remember the, the yellow uh, pine wood. And I remember the place on the right or left side of the of the altar where I went up and they had a kneeling thing. It was, you know, old school, I suppose, but went up and kneeled down right there. How about for you? How did we receive Christ? Can you remember? 
It was by humbling ourselves, dying to ourselves, relinquishing control, submitting by confessing sin. Again, for me, I can recall tears of sorrow there at the kneeling down as I, rec- as I fully understood the price that Christ had paid for me. I remember that night. Ultimately, we received Christ by faith, by believing. But then also, do you remember that sense of being freed? That, that sense of, of a weight lifted off, that being freed of sin, of guilt, being transformed and, and being just empowered. We begin the process of transformation, the process of being changed by receiving Christ through faith. You know, each one of us who, who has accepted Christ has a story, and, and I believe that sharing this story is an opportunity for us to express spiritual influence to those around us. You know, if you'll take a look at the bulletin on the, uh, on the, on the back here, it, it says, How We Live Matters, Application Ideas. And, and I'd, like to, I'd like to challenge you this morning with three assignments. And here's the first one. It's just recognizing that remembering matters. What I'd like to ask you to do is just, is just commit sometime this week to just finding a place and a time where you can tell someone your story of, of receiving Christ, that you can remember the, the when and the how and the why, and that you can share that with somebody. Maybe you even need to think that through. Think about it. How, how would you communicate that in, in maybe three minutes? What would be the three key things that you would say in three minutes as you would share your story with someone? But, but I would challenge you this week, in fact, pray this week that God would give you the opportunity to share your story with someone. And it would just be something natural where a conversation would come up and you could say, you know, I remember a time in my life when. Maybe that's how it would start. But I just pray that, join me in praying, you know, that God would open that opportunity for you to remember and then share your story. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Continuing on with the verse, don't miss the significance of each one of those names. Christ, Jesus, Lord. Christ, Messiah, Savior, is the atoning sacrifice for my sin, payment of the debt I owed, giver of mercy and grace to an undeserving me. Christ, the one who died for me. Jesus. That means Jehovah is salvation. It's the living one who dwells in us. Lord, the one to whom we belong certainly implies obedience. The sovereign one who rules over me. Being willfully obedient, owner, master, the one who has control. Uh, but there it is, right? Control. Jesus as Lord. That's countercultural for us, isn't it? In our, in our culture of independence and rugged American, 
control. Today, many of us seem to want Christ Jesus, Savior and Redeemer, but we want it maybe without the Lord part. We profess to want Him as personal Savior, but then, frankly, we don't want to obey what He, what he commands us to do. Giving up of my control, yielding, obedience. Many of us struggle here. I struggle here. I want my way. But honestly, receiving Him as Savior and Lord matters. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In the, in the NIV, it says, so live in Him. Again, the meaning behind the words here is deeper. The original word for walk means to regulate one's life, to conduct one's life. That's the, the, the word in the original uh, language. Regulate, conduct. It's the ongoing process of yielding our will to His in the daily occasions of life. It's, it's conducting our lives in such a way that Christ permeates all of it. All of it. Having taken and joined ourselves with Christ, we are to live our lives patterned after Him. And, and I believe that looks like a humble servant. Again, not popular in our culture. But I'm also struck by the reminder to conduct our daily lives just as we received Christ. Now, again, how was that? How did we receive Christ? When we received Christ, we were humble and needy and yielded and submitted and surrendered. But through receiving Christ, we recognize that we are saved. We're filled with a new life, serving a new master. We are redeemed and called and filled. In Ephesians 3.19, I love this verse. It says, we're filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. Can you, I can't even comprehend all of the fullness of God. We can't even, God's infinite. We can't comprehend all of his fullness. But we have all of that in us. And the challenge to us is, is for us, for us, we need to live as we have received Him. We need to live recognizing we have the fullness of Christ in us. That means living a life that expresses love and balance and stewardship and integrity and honesty and Holy Spirit empowerment and humble servant, servanthood. All of those things matter as we live our lives. And, and, you know, I believe it also requires intentionality. And so for your second assignment, what I'm asking you to do is, is a life assessment or an inventory. Again, if you look in your blue page on the inside here, there's a series of questions. And, and what I'd also like to ask you or challenge you to do this week is set aside maybe 40 minutes this week. And, and read over those questions, pray for a few minutes, and then underneath each question, just put a few bullet points. You don't have to write sentences. Just put a couple of bullet points. And then, and then share your answers with someone, if you have a, a, an accountability partner. And then the challenge would go a step further, 
and to say six, from, six months from now, do it again and, and just see where, where are you in progressing in this intentional uh, endeavor of living in a way that expresses the fullness of God in us. I think the next part of the passage speaks to, to how to live in Christ. And it, and it starts with this phrase of having been firmly rooted. This is a, this is a past tense verb, this, this word rooted. And it means that being rooted is a task that's already been accomplished for those of us who have put faith in Christ. If you believed, you're rooted firmly. You've been planted. Being rooted implies a living thing. And living things grow. Living things, they change. They transform. They take on different characteristics over time. And the beautiful thing about living things is that they produce fruit. In in Matthew uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 21, Jesus uses the parable of the sower to speak to rootedness. He he first speaks to the lack of roots, and in there he says, yet he has no firm root in himself, but it is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. that's, That's lacking of roots. But we're firmly rooted. And the parable continues. It says, And the one whose seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundred, some sixty, some thirtyfold. We are called to bear fruit. Rooting is the process of growing down deep into the soil of Scripture's. The soil is the place from which a plant draws its nutrients. It's, it's the source of life. It's, it's nourishment. It's where growth comes from for the plants. Yesterday was a beautiful day. We, we did a little bit of, of gardening around the, the church here, and I spoke with a couple of you, and some of you were, were doing some yard work yesterday, and maybe you were taking the, the plant that you got from the nursery, and, and hopefully you did this, but you're supposed to break the roots apart as you put them into the ground so that, so that all those little roots can go down into the soil and receive that nourishment. That's the Word of God for us. And what happens as, as you put that plant in the ground yesterday? You put that plant in the ground with an expectation that it's going to bear fruit. It, maybe, maybe, in fact, it was a fruit tree or a, or a vegetable plant of some sort, but certainly it was something that was going to flower, that was going to blossom, that was going to bloom, and, and was going to result in something beautiful. Fruit is produced from feeding on the Scriptures and the nourishment derived therefrom. But fruit produces ripples in spiritual influence. It's it's that outflowing from us that impacts others. So, questions. Are you firmly rooted? Are you soaking in the Word of God? Can you look back at how actions and attitudes are reflecting on biblical principles in a greater and deeper way. Are you bearing fruit? The remaining part of the verse speaks to how to walk with Him. Now, today, and into the future. It says, having been firmly rooted, that's past, 
and now being built up in Him. Being built up in Him is focusing on growing upwardly, maturing in our relationship with Christ. It is the current and ongoing process of our lives growing and strengthening and changing. It's, it's us being sanctified. That, that involves a process, and, and I believe the first step to that process of being sanctified is surrendering. You know, we can't make ourselves holy any more than we can make ourselves saved. We become holy only by realizing that, what, that we haven't got what it takes to be holy. It's, it's not what we bring to the table. It's what Christ is in us. It's that fullness of God in us. And it's really surrendering to that. It's also accepting. It's accepting Christ as our sanctifier. Christ in us, that's our change agent. In the same way that He is our Savior, in the same way that He transformed our lives the day that we accepted Him, He's in us and He's desiring to change us as we accept that change and receive Him in that way. It also involves obeying. As we maintain a continuous relationship with Jesus through obedience to His Word, obedience flows from that. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, we gain stability in our walk through faith. Faith, as, as you well know, is being sure of what we believe. It's confidence in what we don't see. Being established in our faith first implies process. Past, current, and into the future. A reliance on God in circumstances of life solidifies our faith. I can tell you from my personal experience, in fact, I could preach a month's worth of sermons, maybe even a year's worth of sermons, on how I have seen God working in our lives, in our ministry, and in various contexts around the world in the last seven years. And I can tell you, my faith has, been in, has increased greatly. Being established in our faith invites expectancy. This is a process. It goes from, from faith. As, as, we, as we live in faith, it invites expectancy. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is working within us. I love a, a quote from William Carey. He says, Expect great things from God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. You know, as we landed in Haiti, just a couple of days after the earthquake, we had about two and a half, three days worth of supplies with us. We got off the plane. We didn't know where we were going to stay. We didn't know what we were going to do. We just knew God had called us to go, and He gave us a way to get there. And, and I want to tell you that we've, we've had similar experiences as I went to Japan, same kind of thing, and in different these circumstances where there's chaos, but we God leads and we go with expectancy because we know God will provide. He will provide. Being established in our faith, I believe it really involves a choice. Hebrews chapter eleven. It it's filled with 
a list of many, many people who it says by faith. For example, it says by faith Abraham believed God. Look through that list of, of, of kind of the, the all-stars of faith, as it were. Hall of Fame of faith. Do you know, I believe each one of those men and women, they had a choice to not follow God. Right? They, they had to choose. So do we. Being established in our faith inspires action. Hebrews 11, we see these these men of faith, women of faith, they, they believed and then they moved. They acted. James 1.18 says, I will show you my faith by what I do. I can tell you that, that we have experienced that kind of faith as we have stepped out. We took an initial step to, to leave the security of, of, uh, of home and family and job and and. And God called, and we stepped out with an initial step of faith. And then God gave us more opportunity as we, our first days in New Orleans, we didn't have anything. We were starting a ministry, starting planning, you know, we wanted to help the thousands and thousands of people. And, and in the area where we were working, there was a, tons and tons of trees down everywhere. We didn't have a chainsaw. But we started to pray, and, and the first people that came, they came with some chainsaws, and, and then we prayed again, and then, and then somebody else came, and they, they, a church came, and they said, you guys need a, a skid loader, and so they brought us a piece of equipment. And then they said, you know what, you guys need it more than we do, you just keep it. And people came, and they donated trucks, and they donated they, everything that we have in our, in our I don't know, three or $400,000 ministry center, which was... Which, which came from a church in Memphis that, that came and, and donated that to us. Everything we have has been a prayer, an ask, and then God's provision. Everything that we've experienced in seeing the lives of people transformed in, our, in, our, uh, in the ministry context, people who were hopeless and now are in Christ, they're, in, they're living in hope, and they're impacting the lives of others. Faith inspires action. And being established in our faith, it, it issues from a dedication to the Word of God. It, it flows out of our commitment to faith, to, to Jesus. The reality of living in Christ, rooted, built up, established, is that there is an inevitable result of gratitude and thankfulness. Our roots and foundations in faith in Christ, they help us understand the abounding grace and mercy and rich blessings we have in our life with Him. Thankfulness results and thankfulness produces an attitude of gratitude. When we have an attitude of gratitude, it leaves no room for grumbling. We can't grumble when we're grateful. An attitude of gratitude takes the focus off of us and it puts it on God which in turn fosters in us a humble heart of gratefulness. It allows us to see blessings. It also allows us to see people more as the Lord sees them. Overflowing gratitude also produces action. Note that to overflow, you must first be full. When we are overflowing with gratitude, our hearts are easily moved to generous living. 
a willingness to invest our time, our skills and our abilities, our finances, our resources in the lives of others. As we serve others, the Lord produces fruit, ripples, spiritual influence in the lives of others. This comes easily when we're overflowing with an attitude of gratitude. And so how about you? Assignment number three. Are you grateful? Take another few minutes this week and maybe as a family, you could do it around the dinner table. Make a list of gratitude, things for which you're thankful. Uh, Flowing from this list, think about what kind of positive or, or frankly negative influence that you're having from a spiritual standpoint in the lives of those people around you. Your family, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, people on the soccer team. God invites us to participate with Him to influence our world for the gospel. Yet, our ability to do so really comes down to how we live. Our witness, our lifestyle, our choices, our attitudes, our actions, they all matter and they all either add or detract. They either add or detract. The things that we do, the things that we say, they're, they're not neutral. They either add or detract from our spiritual influence. They all create ripples of influence. The things that we do, the things that we say, how we do them, why we do them, they all create influence. We choose through God in us, we want to see them be positive influences. I'd like to leave you with the story of two families who really understand that how they live matters. I'm not going to use their real names, but there's a couple in Yangon, Myanmar. I'll call them Charlie and, and, uh, and Louise. Um, in 2008, Cyclone Nargis hit their country. It killed over 60,000 people pretty much instantaneously. As the storm raged, they prayed for protection, but they also prayed for direction. They prayed for God to use them, and as soon as the storm passed, they ran out into the streets, and they found many people in need. Some were physically hurt, some needed, you know, and as the days went on, many more people were identified as as in need with all kinds of things. And in those immediate days that followed, they emptied their cupboards, sharing what food they had with, with neighbors and others in need. And, and then their cupboards were empty, so they went to their bank account and they emptied their bank account. And, and using the money they had to buy resources, they helped others. They were driven to show Christ's love to people. And it was about that time, as they had emptied their bank account, that we came alongside them as we were uh, looking at ministry in Myanmar. And, and, it, and, and they were in, in partnership with them, their vision, they were able to expand their ministry to reach out into the Delta region where these tens of thousands of people had been killed. And, and now, several years later, they have planted several churches. They're, they're discipling leaders in these, in these areas, and they have a small church planting movement that is growing out of their work in the Delta. And they're also working in Yangon in their home city, and they're, and they're helping to develop some businesses that are leading Uh, providing access to relationship with people, and they're looking at church planting, uh, another church planting movement to start in the city of Yangon. They were, they're heroes to me. 
Fernando and Angelica, I just met them uh, uh, two weeks ago when I was in, Sa- in Chile. They lived in Santiago um, they all, with all the modern conveniences just like you and I would live with. And then God called. And, and they ended up moving to a place called Talca. It's in, it's in southern uh, Chile. It's a very poor region with about 200,000 people living in it. And like their neighbors, they now live in poverty. They, they have no running water. They bathe in an icy stream. They cook over an open fire. And, and they love on their community to make disciples. Both of these couples have chosen to live the way that they do because they are convinced that how they live matters. They, they've chosen to be available, to make significant time for relationships with God and with others. They've chosen to put others first. They're focused on the needs of others ahead of themselves. They have a passion for the lost. Their core motivation for life's decisions and actions is living out the gospel to see the lost saved. Living in Christ brings security, it brings maturity, it brings stability, it brings overflowing gratitude. And and from these things, we are able to impact our world. How we live matters. My words for you this morning are, be available, put others first, love the lost, and go and make ripples. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, for, um, thank you for the truth that's in your word, God. Thank you for the, the invitation that you give to us to live our lives in such a way that, that we can have spiritual influence in the lives of those around us, Lord. We, we know that it's you working in the hearts of people that saves men and women. But God, it, you've, you've, in, in your mysterious ways, Lord, you've allowed us, you've chosen us, in fact, you've called us to go and make disciples. You've, you've given us a platform where we're at in, in our school or in our workplace, in our neighborhood, um, in, our, uh, in our community. You've given us a unique place for each one of us to bear witness, to, to bear spiritual influence in the lives of those around us, Lord. And uh, God, I just pray for your empowerment. I, I pray for each one of us that you would remind us of that fullness that we have in us. That you would remind us and, and you would show us the faces of those around us and, and, and recognize that people are lost. There are people that are separated from you right here in our own neighborhoods, but, but in many other places around the world as well. And thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to be involved, to be part of the team, to be able to use the gifts and strengths and the abilities, even the limitations and weaknesses that we have when we turn them over to you for your glory to make a difference in the lives of people. We honor and and give you the glory of your name that you deserve, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.